Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Tech Stuff, coming live to you from Studio 77BX. My name is Chris Paulette. I'm an editor here at HowStuffWorks.com, and sitting next to me, as usual, making funny faces and laughing under the table is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. Hey there! Guess what? What? Today marks our 100th episode. Woohoo! Woo! And we have something special for you guys today. Something that one of our listeners sent in. Hit it, Tyler! Congratulations, tech stuff. You made it to 100 episodes. You never thought it would get this far, but man, didn't we all hope so? What's gonna be funny about Listen to tech stuff in a hundred years It's all the problems that we had And we tried to solve it With iPhones and tech stuff Showed us how to access my iTunes store 
showed me how to run antivirus software and BitTorrent and many more. That's why it's important to listen to every text of episode and thank John and Chris for making it so. It's a hundred episodes. A hundred episodes. Yeah, thank you. Wow, that was really cool. Wasn't it? Seriously. That's pretty awesome. So that was from James Meyer, host of The Rare Podcast, who wrote that song just for us for this 100th episode. Awesome. Yeah, fantastic. We've been immortalized in song. <laughs> That's a little scary. Actually. Yeah, it is a little frightening, isn't it? Yeah. So Chris and I were debating what would, did we want to do for the 100th episode. You know, what would really be special to do the 100th episode of Tech Stuff? And ultimately, we came to the conclusion that what would be really special is to do an episode that didn't require us to do any research whatsoever. <laughs> and that's, that's what fun. you're getting. <laughs> so we wanted to talk a little bit about kind of, kind of ourselves, our stories about how we got interested in tech. Now, it may surprise you to know that, that neither Chris nor myself really joined How Stuff Works with the intention of being technical writers. Correct. Yeah, that that's true. At the time that what we came on board, um, we didn't really specialize in anything in particular. We wrote about anything and everything, which was cool, and that was that was a lot of fun. But as we started to grow, it became apparent that it would really behoove us to to specialize in various categories. On and we're talking across the board, all the different writers, and to uh, that way kind of build our expertise in these different subjects. And it turned out that Chris and I were the uh, two who were not afraid of technology. Speak for yourself. <laughs> but Josh and Chuck scared to death of it. You should, I mean, Josh, he quivers when he turns his power button on, on his computer. That's true. I mean, it's, you know, it's a sight to behold. Yeah. But, uh, no, seriously, we, we actually both love technology. And so it was, it was a pretty good fit. I mean, it was again, one of those things where for a second it was intimidating because there's a whole lot of tech. Yeah. There's an awful lot of tech and it changes all the time. Oh, there it goes again. Yep. Yep. Just switched on us. Yeah. So, so we were both a little, uh, you know, we, we were excited and a little anxious and it turned out to be a great fit actually, because that led to the tech stuff podcast, which also led to the tech stuff blogs. And here we sit getting to talk about some of the coolest stuff on the face of the planet, as far as I'm concerned. All right. So, so we're going to talk about some of our favorite tech and some stories that, uh, about how we got involved in technology and, and led up to our careers, I suppose. All right then. So, uh, you want to start? Um, sure. Okay, go. <laughs> um, you know, my dad was a mechanical engineer and, um, you know, he was, he's always been a real gadget nut. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think that sort of carried over, you know, osmosis, if you will. Um, and, uh, I actually got my first computer when I was in junior high school, which, uh, in the school system I was in was ninth grade was in junior high school. And it was unsurprisingly, an Amiga, the Amiga mm-hmm. 1000, which was the very first. Um, and, uh, well, you know, I would have, if I had gotten a PC, I would have been using DOS. So seriously. Um, <laughs> uh, but we, uh, instead of going with the Atari ST or the Mac, uh, we actually went with the, uh, Amiga and I was an Amiga user for many years. Um, that's the basics on my, my tech background. And of course, you know, there were many, many gadgets and gizmos and, 
doofloches. I'm between. sure we'll, I'm sure we'll hit some of them as we talk. Absolutely. So that was your, sort of the That's genesis my, for you. Yeah, it was my first computer. And- All right. Well, for me, my parents are authors. Mm-hmm. Um, my father has been a published author for many, many years and has written several science fiction novels. So science, gadgets, technology, all of that sort of thing held, uh, you know, he had a, had a fascination with all of that as well. So in our family, we decided that we needed a computer mainly so that my father could write and, uh, not have to type everything out on, on paper and, you know, curse every time there was a, a, a mistake and, and, you know, I had to go and retype an entire page as opposed to, you know, just hitting a little backspace button a couple times and typing in another key. Yeah. So our First computer technically was a Texas Instrument computer. Wow. Yeah, I used to hunt the Wumpus. But um, the first computer where we actually had what I would call a computer computer, and this is not to offend you Texas Instrument fans out there. Please don't write to me. Uh, was the Apple IIe. Mm-hmm. And the Apple II, Apple IIe was really meant for my dad to uh, to be able to write his books. you know. But we also managed to get a few games and um, – that pretty much sold it for me. Once I found out that this machine also let you play stuff, I was hooked. <laughs> and so the Apple IIe was kind of my introduction. You know, Jonathan, the the anti-Mac guy, my first computer was the Apple IIe. All right. Um, and I'm not really anti-Mac. I We always go on about this because a reader once said that I had an anti-Mac bias. And so I find it very funny and I like to bring it up. But yeah, that was my intro was the Apple IIe. And uh, I'll be talking a little bit more about that as well, I guess, through this conversation. So we're just going to talk about some other um, kind of tech things, stuff we like, stuff that kind of shaped us. So you got anything else you want to add before I jump into another one of my stories? Uh, no, go ahead. Oh, you want me to go ahead? All right. Yeah, I do. Okay, well, here we go. One of the first games that I got for the Apple IIe uh-huh. was, the, was Ultima II. Oh, yeah. All right. I yeah. never had the first Ultima game or a Calabath. I never had either of those uh, until much, much, much later. But Ultima 2 was an interesting game. First of all, I was interested in role-playing, so mm-hmm. the, the old Dungeons & Dragons games and stuff like that because I was a complete geek even back then. And uh, and Ultima 2 was, of course, a, a computer role-playing game. It was a single-player game, and you went through the game as an adventurer trying to kill the bad guy. Um. Because my dad writes science fiction, I got to go to a convention where Richard Garriott, a.k.a. Lord British, the guy who invented the Ultima series, was there. And we were invited to go to a party held – this is name-dropping city right here. Mm -hmm. We went to a party held by Gary Gygax, the founder of – one of the co-creators of Dungeons & Dragons. Richard Garriott was also at this party. I talked to him briefly and said, I really like this game, Ultima 2. I had played uh, Ultima 4 because a friend of mine had it, but I only had the second one. Right. Richard Garriott said, oh, well, I have a copy of the, uh, the, the first build of Ultima 5. It's not ready to go to market yet, but if you want to play test it, you can. And that was what sealed the deal. There you go. Right there mm-hmm. was getting to the, the idea of getting to play something before anyone else, you know, that really appealed to my sense of, uh, ego. So I really enjoyed that and, uh, I became an Ultima fan ever since. So I was a big, big Ultima fanboy. Um, so yeah, I would say that the the Ultima series, especially the way that he incorporated the uh, the sense of morality mm-hmm. in those games, which was very different from any games that came before it, where where you really were just a hack and slash kind of you know killing machine really uh, in those early adventure games. 
the uh, the Ultima series where you became the Avatar, you actually had to make moral choices. And if you made the wrong ones, you weren't going to win the game. Wow. So it was pretty cool. You know, I, I admit I've never actually played any of the Ultima series. Oh, you poor deluded fool. <laughs> it's amazing that you've gotten through life this this way. But I did play Leather Goddesses of Phobos. Oh, okay. Well, then, all right, you amoral fool. <laughs> um, well, that's an awesome, awesome text-based yeah. adventure. Yep, yep. So I, I you know... I remember playing some of those games back in the day too. I, I remember playing Zorik and Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Those great oh, yeah. text-based games. Yeah. Yep. Yep. But uh, you know, there have been other tech things over the course of the years that uh, sort of fell in love with okay. gadgets. Uh, I was thinking about something a little more recent. Sure. Um, the handspring visor. Wow. Yeah. I actually was one of the uh, few handspring owners. Uh, for you, those of you who don't have. Any idea what I'm talking about? There are these things called PDAs that came out before smartphones. Right, I know it's hard to believe. Um, the the Palm Group actually, some of the people who founded it broke off because they wanted to do their own thing again. Um, they created a company called Handspring, and they licensed the Palm operating system. And the very first one they came out with was the Visor, um, and it had an expansion slot where you could plug in cartridges and other. Uh, neat expansions that would help your visor do other things. Um, I didn't really have any of that, but it was my first PDA and found out how useful it is to organize your calendar where you could just write stuff down and, you know, you got it at home, you've got it at work, you can sync your computers. Very useful. And then later on, they went on to build these, you know, early-ish smartphones called the Trio, and then they got gobbled back up by Palm. Nice. So, uh, that's where they are now. But, uh, it was my, my first introduction to the smartphone PDA world. Uh, mine didn't have a phone, but, you know, the technology that's in smartphones now. Now, Chris, I gotta ask you. Okay. Did you, before the World Wide Web, were you one of the folks who would log into bulletin boards and things like that? No, you know, I didn't use bulletin boards, which probably surprises you a little bit. It does surprise me a little bit. But when I was in college, I did, uh, <laughs> I did dial into the Vax. Oh, all right. On our uh, on our college campus, so I was logging into the mainframe. Direct for those of you again who don't know what I'm talking about, um, this was a, a very large mainframe computer um, that uh, digital equipment made before they were gobbled up by you know Compaq and then HP. Um, you know, I had we used to go to the computer lab. I didn't go to the Mac lab. I actually went to the Vax lab. So you know. Basically, giant dumb terminals with the green light on the black screen. So the time-sharing model. Oh yeah, yeah. Nice, nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I used to log into bulletin boards to do to play games and things like that. Mm-hmm. Various, uh, again, mostly role-playing games of some sort. I remember there was a science fiction-based one that I enjoyed quite a bit. Uh, do you remember the first time you you discovered the World Wide Web? Um, I don't remember the very first time. Nineteen ninety-three for me. Wow. Well, it's easy because it was freshman year of college. Oh, uh, okay. So, yeah. see, when I when I started using the uh, the internet, I wasn't really using the web. I was using mostly chat and email. Right. Um, yeah, know, I was so I, I was kinda... using Telnet quite a bit to to log into chat rooms and things like that. But then, um, I re- I remember being in the computer lab, uh, at my college and looking over and seeing someone looking at something on the computer that had graphics on it, and I was. Wondering what it was, and he said, "Oh, this is a World Wide Web," and I said, "What's that?" Because <laughs> of course, this is back before that was really gotten all around quite a bit, mm-hmm. and uh, it was pretty young in, in 1993. 
And uh, I did build a web page. And back in those days, of course, the way you built a web page was that you had a an editor where you were essentially editing things in uh, in in text, and then you would save it uh, to wherever the host was. And you would then open up your browser and check it out and see how it looked and then realize that everything was wrong and quit off your browser, open your editor again, go back and tweak a few things, save it, upload, go back, open up the browser. You did this over and over and over again until it looked right. And, of course, when I say looked right, folks, the, these pages looked horrible. All yeah, right. Yeah. you got to imagine, OK, some some really, really crappy tiled background image, some clip art type uh uh images along there, a MIDI file playing in a loop in the background. The blink tag. Oh, the blink tag. I think I had a blink tag. I did have a MIDI file playing Rule Britannia over and over and over again. Uh, yeah, I was one of those lame people who made a really, really bad web page. I think I've seen that web page. You probably have. Yeah. Or it was one of the uh, five million yeah, other you, ones that looked just like it. Essentially, if you look at any web page that any college student made in 1993, that's a pretty good indicator of what I built. It was hideous. But you know what? It was so interesting to be able to create something where not only were you able to to publish your work, but you Essentially, millions and millions of people had access to it. Mm -hmm. And suddenly that was when I realized hey, this is an amazing tool where a single person can reach a huge audience when before, you know, you had to have a, a, a monster kind of organization backing you to be able to do that. You had to be able to to become a published writer or a journalist of some sort in order for that many people to get a look at what you had to say. The web suddenly made it possible for everyone to be that. Yeah. Now, of course, that means that you get some incredible writers who otherwise would never be discovered, and you also get the crazies who you wish you had never discovered. It's you know a catch-all, really. <laughs> you know, it's funny because in 1993, I was I was just out of college, and um, they uh, I signed up for a local internet service provider, and they asked me if I wanted my own domain name, and I really didn't understand what that meant. Mm -hmm. Um. You know, because I'd been on a dot edu and I figured out, well, I'm on a dot net now and it doesn't, you know, I don't, why would I want my own domain name? Now I'm thinking back to all the domain names I could have squatted on. Wow. Man. Yeah. Cause nobody knew what, what was going on. Then. And no one, no one had any, there were very few people who were able to jump on that very quickly and, and say, you know, this is going to be huge. I'm guessing that a bunch of companies are going to get involved in this and therefore I should make sure I get coca-cola.com. Yeah, except at that point they weren't eight ninety nine for a dot com. They were I don't even know, probably hundreds of dollars yeah. for a domain registration. They would have taken six weeks to process and all sorts of stuff. Right, right. And there's no the, guarantee that you would actually be able to squat on and sell it. Yeah. You know, because some some companies were strong enough to be able to muscle them away. So Yeah. yeah. But still. You know, I was thinking about uh I'm I was gonna ask you okay. what your first uh video game console was. Ooh, my first video game console, well, if you don't count the um the Pong game that we had where it had the you know eight different versions of the same Pong game, uh you would it would have to be the Atari twenty six hundred. Yeah, yeah. Which uh not counting my Coleco Telstar, which had uh handball, tennis and I think hockey. On it. it was very, very subtle variations of Pong. Yeah, I, it was essentially the same thing I had. And I, so. I, I just don't remember what the brand was anymore. Yeah. But yeah, yeah Atari 2600, uh, 
And yes, yes, we have joked about in the past, I really did own E.T. Yeah, yeah. And it was terrible. Oh, I still have all my 2600 games. Uh, mine were given away to a younger cousin. Ah, I see. Yeah. And then, of course, uh, you know, I actually skipped a while. I skipped the whole Nintendo thing and then went, uh, you know, got the Sega Genesis. It's funny, I own, now that I think about it, more consoles as an adult. You know, the GameCube and the Wii and the PlayStation 2. Yep. I still like to get a PlayStation 3 and an Xbox 360, but right. I just haven't so, had the chance. So let's see. I'll, I'll, go well through, <laughs> I'll go through mine. I had the Atari 2600. After it was already dead, I got the Intellivision. Oh, I yeah. mean, like yeah. the Intellivision worked, but there were no more games coming out yeah, for it. Yeah, it was over but its I, prime. Yeah. I, I got a big collection of games when I got the Intellivision and a big collection of the little plastic inserts that you would put in the controller. Ah, yes. Um, the two did not necessarily match. <laughs> there was some overlap, but there were, I was, it was so frustrating because there were, I had games where I didn't have the insert and I wasn't really sure what buttons did what until lots of trial and error. And then I had inserts that looked like they were for a really awesome game, but I didn't have the game. <laughs> so I had the uh, 2600, the Intellivision, and then again, skipping quite a bit because I skipped the Nintendo era as well. Uh, then let's see. Oh, I got a PlayStation 1, and then I got a Nintendo 64, and then a GameCube, and then the Xbox, and then the PS2, and then the Dreamcast I got late, but it was awesome, (laughs) and uh, the Wii. So I think that's all of them. I don't think I missed any. Um, I left out the Game Boy. Oh, I do have a Game Boy. The original Game Boy. I have a Game Boy Advance. Okay. So and now we have a DS, which oh, is you do. very awesome. Well, fancy schmancy. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't have a DS. Um yeah, no, what happened for me was that I, I went from the Atari and essentially the Intellivision later, which I, I kind of inherited from another cousin. My family, we give th- give technology to our younger cousins, I guess. Um but I went from the Atari to computer games. Mm-hmm. And then I became a computer game snob. Because uh, I just thought that the the games on the computers were so much more sophisticated than the console games at the time that I did not want to go back to consoles. It wasn't until we reached the point where in order to play video games, you had to upgrade your video card every six months or else you couldn't play them anymore. That's when I was like, you know what? I'm going back to consoles because you don't have to do that with them. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Because they, you know, uh, forces them to stay, stick to the uh, the specs. They don't have a choice. Right. Um, let's see. So, uh, any particular software you dig? Cause I was, Ooh. I was thinking about the different tools that we've used. I mean, there's stuff like Microsoft Office, which, you know, other than maybe PowerPoint, I don't really have a problem with, but it's not exciting and, you know, stuff that I really like. Um, see, a lot of the software that I like right now are, we're talking are like cloud applications, like yeah. Google Docs. I love Google Docs because, mm-hmm. Uh, as a writer, uh, I also write outside of my job here. I write fiction occasionally. And Google Docs lets me upload things, and that way I can access it wherever. I don't necessarily have to take my computer with me. If, if there's going to be a computer wherever I go, I can access it. Mm-hmm. And it also allows me to collaborate with other writers, which in, in a much easier way than than the traditional way where you would write and write and write and then email it to someone, and then they would make changes and then email it back and then – You'd have to make sure that you had the most recent version of the document so that you didn't accidentally change something from an older version and skip out on all the changes that have been made since then. And <laughs> Google Docs made it so much easier. Yeah. Um, you know, writing is one of those funny things because I mean, really all you need is a pen and paper. Right. Or, you know, you could use it, you know, just your simple text. 
program to do that, you know, the one that comes with your computer or, sure. or Word or OpenOffice or something like that. Um, I like Scrivener for Mac mm-hmm. OS X. Mm-hmm. Um, for those of you who are uh, interested in, in doing fiction writing, because it actually comes with a corkboard kind of thing. We can actually make, uh, you know, I guess virtual note cards and mm-hmm. sort of plan out what you're doing with it. It's kind of neat. Um, it's from a, a small company called Literature and Latte, which is um, pretty interesting. Um, let's see. And, you know, I, I sort of picked on Office just a minute ago, but there is one segment of uh, the, you know, Microsoft productivity software that I really like, um, and that's OneNote. Because mm-hmm. it is a really neat notebook program uh, that lets you, you know, keep notes and things. And the reason I like that uh, compared to other systems is, you know, you can search stuff in your notes and it's also got sort of a tabbed notebook thing. Uh, you can put check check boxes next to things if you're taking notes in a in a meeting and check stuff off as you go through. It's kind of handy to have. And, um, you know, it's, it's not an expensive addition. As a matter of fact, I think it now comes with Office, although I haven't bought a copy of Office in quite some time. Right. Um, well, I was going to also mention um, a gadget that I simply could not live without. Okay. My iPod. Oh, yeah, definitely. Talking about Apple lovers. All right. Now, my iPod is not my first MP3 player. I used to have a Creative Zen. And I had an old one, which mm-hmm. was uh, felt like it was made out of cast iron because it was a heavy, heavy device. Held a lot of songs in it. it was great. Did not have video capability. Just had a simple, you know, monochromatic screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I loved it in that I suddenly had the ability to carry thousands of songs with me. And then I got an iPod Classic with the uh, the 80 gig drive, and um, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, I will. Ne- I I can't imagine filling it up. I mean, I have a pretty big music collection, not as big as. I mean, there are people who sit there like, yeah, I've got twenty five thousand songs on this. <laughs> no, no, I've got a fraction of that. But uh, the fact that I can carry the entire Ramones discography with me is awesome. And also because it's the Ramones, you can listen to their entire discography in about twenty seven minutes. Yeah, <laughs> one, two, three, four. But yeah. yeah, that I couldn't live without it, well, or I wouldn't uh, want to anyway. Right. Actually, uh, it wasn't so long ago. Well, actually, it's approaching a year now that I think about it. Um, upgraded my 20 gig, uh, 4G iPod to an iPod Touch first G, um, you know, the one without the, uh, physical volume knob. Right. Anyway, the very, one, the one before the one my wife got. Right, right. Okay. But I still love it. Um, because you can run applications on it too. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I, of course, I had several portable cassette players of uh, one of which my brother Ran over with a lawnmower, um, and uh, as brothers are wont to do, exactly. And uh, disc men or disc mans, I don't know oh, what the right, proper right, right. plural oh, of that my is. Gosh, I used to have one of those too. But my transition to the MP3 world was not an MP3 player per se. It was the Sonic Blue RioVolt, which was a CD player that you could use with regular CDs, or it would read data CDs with MP3s on them. Ah. So I had my music collection on MP3s burned onto CDs, which is actually kind of nice because then you didn't have to have, you know, your whole library with you could, you know, boil it down to six or eight CDs. And, sure, sure. You know, it's not nearly as much. Of course, that uh, actually got upgraded when somebody broke into my house and stole it from me. So Ouch. I didn't have to worry about, uh, you know, then I had to go, well, you know, I, I need something. Yeah, no, I need something, yeah. So... Well, you know, what was interesting was that before I got an iPod, 
I was not the biggest fan of iTunes. I found it difficult to use. And then I got an iPod and then I said, oh, now, you now I get it because yeah. it works so well with this hardware. And I love iTunes now because I use iPod and, um, and it, it works pretty well. Uh, so I, I enjoy that quite a bit and I love to be able to listen to other podcasts, um, besides, you know, our own example, for example, all the other howstuffworks.com podcasts. Yes. Those are excellent. They are. Stuff of genius is, you know what? It's the stuff of genius. Yeah, I really like that one. It's too. a great one. And it's, and it's one of the newer ones. Too, yes, it so. is. Okay. HTCG one. Okay. I, I had to get that out. That's <laughs> the other device I couldn't live without. He blurted. My HTCG one Android phone, which I love oh so dearly. Very nice. Oh, it's a fantastic phone. I mean, I, I know there are people who do not like the form factor because they think it's a little clunky. It's a little too thick. Um, and that the screen's not quite as big as the iPhone screen. And I can understand that. I, I, but for my own part, I don't, I don't really look for sexy sleek in my electronics. I look for function first. Yeah. And if the function is there and it's really strong, uh, I can overlook a little clunkiness or, or, you know, make think it doesn't matter that it's so thick. And, um, and I also love the physical keyboard. And I've heard that with the iPhone, the iPhone, that uh, the touchscreen keyboard, that a lot of people pick up on it eventually. Like you, you, you hit a plateau for a while um, as you are learning to type on it and get faster and faster, and then all of a sudden it's like the light comes down from heaven and you are suddenly able to type at at full speed. Um, but the nice thing about the HTC G1 is I was able to type full speed when I opened it. Well, that's you know that's a positive. Yes. So. Um are there any uh, gadgets that you wish you could get? The Palm Pre. Okay. I would like the Palm Pre just to get a look at the darn thing and get my hands on it and play around with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Palm Pre, I would love to get my hands on that. I would love to get my hands on the OnLive game system. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I want to try that out uh, and see if uh, if this cloud gaming model really is all that it's cracked out to be. I mean, it sounds like it's going to be awesome. Mm-hmm. I mean, it sounds like the idea of other computers handling all the processing power so mine doesn't have to. I love that idea. Um, Still think it's going to have some latency issues. Yeah, that's what I'm worried about, too. So I really want to try that out. Um, hmm, what else? Uh, oh, Kindle 2. Oh, yeah. I would yeah. love to have a Kindle 2. I'm actually kind of interested in the uh, the larger, the, the DX. The Kindle DX? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that might be a little, well, I mean, the Kindle DX looks like it'd be interesting as well, but uh, for my my own purposes. I really just Kindle two would be fine. All right, then. you know. So if if a if a listener is just thinking, oh, this poor guy doesn't have a Kindle two, <laughs> I got to get him a Kindle two. You know what? That's very sweet of you. Uh, <laughs> the address is. Oh, I guess I shouldn't do that. Yeah, no. All no. right. Um. Yeah. I. I actually. Uh. My wish list of stuff I'd just like to get my hands on. Yeah. Sadly, and includes um an HD TV and surround sound since I oh. still don't have the home theater. Well, I have that, but I no longer have cable and so. I don't have, <laughs> and I don't have a GPS of any kind. Oh, wow. You know, gosh, since Paulette. I don't have an iPhone, I've got an iPod touch. You also know. for those listening, Paulette has not seen some very important f- movies. All right. That has nothing to do with tech, uh, but he needs those movies to watch on his HD TV and surround sound once <laughs> yeah. he gets them. Because otherwise I make jokes from young Frankenstein and he stares at me and wonders what I just said. You stink. I'm just saying. I also would like to uh, get my hands on a, an electronic set of uh, D-drums. Oh, right. Being a percussionist, um, I've always wanted to mess around with a set of electronic drums. Yeah. Um, Roland but, has some nice ones. Yeah, they actually do. They do. Um, and I just have not. Elisa's also. 
now that yes. you mention it. Uh, just do not have the wherewithal, actually the, the, uh, available mad money available right. to do that. Right. Um, and there's, there's other stuff. I'd love to fool around with some, some software like that, like Mathematica. Oh, uh, sure. You know, just to plug stuff in and see what happens, but it's kind of pricey. Yep. You know, yep. Illustrator, Pro Tools, just to, you know, fool around with it. But, you know, yeah, when you're no. doing that, That's although, true. um, there is a, a freeware version of, uh, something called Inkscape, which works cross platform, including Mac and Linux, uh, wow. and Windows, um, that is very like Illustrator, you know. So every once in a while I'll get in there and play around. I'm not much of a designer, but, um, I like to play one on, uh, my own version of TV, which involves no one watching. <laughs> <laughs> uh, TiVo is something else that I thought was really cool. Yep. And, uh, XM Radio. Yeah, those are totally gadgety, gizmo-y things that you know it's hard to live without. Once Pandora, yeah, Pandora. Gotta go back to Pandora. Love Pandora. Yep, yep. I'm I'm petering out here. Yep, I'm running out of of stuff I love. And generally, when you say that, it means that it's time for listener mail. You know, for a second, I was going to start making up more tech stuff just to avoid hearing that sound. Wow, deja vu. Today's listener mail (laughs) comes from Humble Floyd, who's a truck driver and wanted to comment on our CB radio podcast. Do you remember our CB radio podcast, Chris? I do remember our CB radio podcast. It was a great podcast about CB radios, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. The funny thing was, we got a lot of uh, comments about this particular podcast, which surprised me because it was sort of old tech. Yeah, actually quite a few people wrote in and... uh, uh, we are planning on doing a podcast about ham radio in the future because a lot of people said that they were interested in ham. Damn. Are you thinking about ham? I am. All right. Well, lunchtime was, you know, a couple hours ago, Chris. So <laughs> stick with me here. All right. All right. We're, we're through the home stretch. So Humble Floyd had a few things to say about our CB radio podcast, and he was very positive and very uh, thankful for it. So thank you, Humble Floyd. I love the email. Uh, it's a long one, so we're just going to uh, mention a couple of points here. For one thing, he said that it is legal to build your own CB radio or any ham radio to FCC spe- specifications. So uh, it does have to be a uh, certificated FCC transmitter, according to the FCC. But uh, other than that, apparently you can build one. So okay. I guess we sit corrected. <laughs> but um, he points out that it's cheaper to actually buy one because they range from about 30 bucks to 300 bucks. So yeah, that, uh, that sort of isn't unusual, I think, in the world of tech. And he also mentions that uh, that you aren't supposed to boost it, but most people end up boosting it to so that it, the signals go 10 to 25 miles because the FCC doesn't actually enforce it. Mm. So it is still technically illegal, but people do it anyway. And then... Um, also not unusual in the world of tech. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. If, if, if you're not getting caught for it, people are doing it. Uh, so then he pointed out a couple of other things about the antenna. He mentioned also that um, a license was required at one time, but no longer. And then he had this lovely little message that I wish to share with everyone. <clears throat> Break one nine westbound, you got a full grown in a plain brown wrapper taking pictures from the middle of the yardstick 201. Gator on the zipper on the 198. The chicken coop is locked up and take a look at the seat cover in the white Chevy at your front door. Come on. Hey, why'd you leave behind you? I probably put the wrong pauses in there and everything. Here's what that means. A break is breaking into the transmission. Breaker is only used in the movies. As I sit corrected myself. 
A state trooper or DOT cop in an unmarked car is in the median with a radar or laser gun at milepost 201. There's a tire tread on the white line at the 198. The state scale way station is closed. And there's a woman worth looking at just in front of you. Please come back with info on the road in front of me. That would be a very useful message to receive. Indeed. Mm. Lovely scenery. Thank you so much, <laughs> Humble Floyd. That was a that was fantastic email, and we greatly appreciate it. And guys, just keep the email coming because it's um it's really helping us out with knowing what you want to hear, and we love to to hear from our listeners. You can write us techstuff at howstuffworks.com, and you can learn all about technical things and gadgets, and electronics and computers and stuff that Chris and I like at howstuffworks.com. We will talk to you again another hundred times really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. And be sure to check out the new Tech Stuff blog, now on the HowStuffWorks homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.